Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of ThinkTrading.com, joined with Tim Price of PriceValuePartners.com. Hi, Paul. Hi, Tim. Lots of vol in the markets. Yeah, it's having sort of um, been very sleepy uh, to wake up to, to coronavirus. The market seems to be making up for lost time. Um, I allude to this in large part in this week's commentary. Mm. And there's a particular point I'd make. Uh, credit to uh, Harris Kupperman, who I, I, you know, I make a link to one of his pieces. And he makes the analogy. It's, it's often said that markets are really good at sort of spotting events ahead of time. But that's cobbler's. A lot of the time, they, they just get completely blindsided. And this is the point that Harris makes. So he, he makes an analogy with the run-up to the, the First World War, that there was tremendous complacency, even in the, the literally the days leading up to the declaration of war by the various uh, combatants. And um, his point is that back then, stock market wasn't so much the story. Back then, it was really bonds that were the most liquid uh, sort of investment of choice. But a war would clearly um, mean that a government's ability to, to to service its debt and to redeem its debt in gold, which it was at the time, uh, would be would be dr- dramatically weakened. So um, bond prices would be expected to uh, you know to, to 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 sell off markedly if there was a realistic chance of war. And of course, that didn't happen. So there was a a, a tiny movement, but basically, you know, it, it took people completely by surprise. And of course, there were also stock exchanges that closed. And then every opened Russia, for example, or China. So um, the market's ability to, to 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 price in the unexpected is is overrated. Yes, well, by by its very nature, it can't it can't price in the unexpected. It's it's the unexpected is the unexpected. It's like the black swan theory of of that Talib talks about. It's but what you can, I guess, analyze is what is the state of the market when an unexpected shock comes in and its ability to deal with that said shock, uh, can it brush it off because it's in a good shape or or is it going to be something that, a straw that breaks the camel's back as it were? I mean, we, we, we try in our business never to let macro themes predominate because I, I find macro, A, is a bit of a distraction and B, is subjective anyway. So which is yeah. why, you know, your commitment to the price is as, is as valid as any other response to sort of market movements. But uh, I would say that the, the, the coronavirus thing may or may not be a big deal, but the, the let's just say the timing is awkward because the, the backdrop, the macro, you know, having just made that caveat, the macro backdrop is one whereby, you know, conventional monetary response has been inadequate for the last 10 years, but that doesn't mean we're not going to get more of the same. So, it may yet be, I mean, I forget the precise substance of the tweet, but someone sort of rather caustically tweeted a few days ago that, well, of course, the main thing is this is a deadly virus floating around. So you need to cut interest rates and make it easier for people to borrow money. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and that's, that's that's all they've got in the toolbox. So, yeah. you know, it's like to a man with a hammer, anything is a nail. And yes. to central banks facing what does it look, I mean, it looks like the odds of a sort of a coordinated, not not coordinated as in actively managed, but a coordinated global slowdown are rising by the day. And you only need to see these little flashpoints like Italy, Northern Italy, or whereas we had it South Korea, and I think Iran now, uh, outbreaks of coronavirus, it's sort of leaping about the world. And you're, you're seeing whole swathes of the global economy just being sort of shut down or closed. So the, the idea that, and not that the GDP is the be all and end all anyway, but in as much as GDP is likely to come through this unscathed, it, it, it's not. 
Yeah, but isn't it one of those things where, yes, it does get hit, but then it bounces back kind of twice as far? Well, that's that's been the case historically. So I think I, I, I read a piece uh, a little while ago that said this is like the 30th sort of SARS-type outbreak type event that we've had in the last however many years. But this one this one does feel a bit more serious. And I say it's, it's, it's more the fact that now having been very, very complacent up until the last weekend, now that now the market's starting to price in, you know, a fairly sort of grisly outcome. Yeah. So it's impossible to say how this thing pans out, but it's no surprise that the usual suspects, treasury bonds and gold are rallying. Um, but I think in the in the bigger picture, the particularly in the case of the treasury market, the, the bond market, um, kind of be careful what, what you wish for, because the idea that that I mean, yes, bond yields can go yet more negative, but that doesn't make them good value even when they are now. It's you know you'd need to you'd need to have you know balls of steel to be putting on positions now for the long run because there's no value to that market to begin with. Yeah, and I guess everybody's trying to get good information. For example, some of the the, the details of 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 numbers out of China say it's going down. So, and, and the mortality rate seems to be something of the order of 1%, which doesn't sound that scary. But of course, if it's, if it's a wide enough number of people being infected, then it's, you, know, you get a scary number anyway. Well, what is the mortality rate of normal flu? I don't know. Uh, yeah. this, may, this may be yet less less fatal than normal flu. It could be, for all we know. But it's it's just obviously there's there's no sort of antidote to it, or or you, not you can't, yet. You can't no, be there's inoculated. no vaccine yet. Yeah, no. there's no vaccine. So that's yeah. But it's it's um, yeah. I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just saying like no, if, 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 if we look at what happened to the markets yesterday, Monday, they they fell out of bed in you know spectacular fashion but if you actually look at the longer term chart and see how the market's been going up that sort of corrections happened before uh, so have they even tested technical support yet well, probably not by well, the sound, well they have they have but let's look at what happened to gold. i mean gold rallied into you know it, it spiked upwards but then it it didn't hit a high whilst everything was coming off so in other words it hit its high and then then you know people who'd been looking at a a long trade from way back, you know, took some profit. And I mean, to be fair, gold's also been an uptrend for quite a while. It now. has, yeah. It's been, it's been, you know, bubbling higher for a while. So, but I mean, to, to go some... back to, to go to go back to the point about macro. So, I'd say that the, the in as much as one's trying to always validate or uh, account for market movements after the fact, if there is a sort of pr- a primary factor behind gold strength, I would argue it's. You know, investors increasingly pricing in you know, central banks losing control of the monetary uh, spigot, if you, you like. Yes. The, 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 you, the response through MMT is going to be so extreme, and it now looks even more like to happen as a result of, you know, for example, coronavirus. So you know, the fact that we, we're now, you, know, that you can almost feel the global economy chilling means that that's increasingly likely to happen. Yes. Um, but notwithstanding it, so, so there, was, there, were, there were perfectly sound reasons for gold to be firming up well ahead of you know the, the, this this latest epidemic or pandemic or whatever it's going to become, um, and this is merely coincidental that the, the tail end of that rally has also coincided with you know this outbreak. My point with gold right here right now is that if you'd panicked into gold yesterday, you're buying you're buying at a fairly topish short term level. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think it's going higher in the medium term, but that's got nothing to do with coronavirus and everything to do with monetary exactly. policy. Exactly, and I totally agree. So I think it's it's like comes da- back down to the you know the reasons that you might look at in the press and 
in the headlines as to why it's going up. It might not be that at all. So, I, and but I don't... also, I mean, we should also draw a distinction between trading and investing because clearly, you know, what we we are about is sort of long term investing and and if, explicitly not speculating. But as this, uh, this is another, another sort of cheesy old quote that I managed to crowbar into the commentary: if you're going to panic, panic early. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and there may be some more good reasons to do that, as we're, we're about to, to discuss. But um, So we had some questions from last week that we, we kept over until this week. One was from Shane, and he's asking about inflation. And this is his question. I won't read all of it because we mm. can get the crux of it from, I think, half of it. So Shane said, if in principle we all agree that inflation figures are repeatedly underreported and we look at sites such as shadow stats we can often see that real inflation could be running between 6 and 10%, depending on how you measure it, of course. We'll put a link mm. to Shadow Stats alternate inflation data. I found it interesting that one of your guests was highlighting Scottish Power's delivering a 6% inverted commas return, as we agree pretty good in the current market environment with bond yields running negative. But if this 6% return is wiped out by real inflation, then in some ways one could argue gold beats it even if the price of gold stays still. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the point... To make not least about a let's say six percent say dividend yield is I mean I haven't looked at Scottish Power but there, there are a lot of large you know, dividend yielding yieldy UK stocks UK companies that have fairly punchy looking yields but those yields aren't aren't very well covered if at all um, and in the worst case I mean I know this has been the case with GlaxoSmithKline and AstraZeneca over recent years the dividend yield is not even sufficiently covered by cash flow to the extent that those companies have to borrow money just to pay the dividend, which in the long term is completely unsustainable. So it's got so, a mirage, basically. So so basically, it's, yes, it, 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 is, it, isn't a, it isn't a real figure, or rather it is a real figure. But if, you know, I mean, one, one thing that we insist on when we're looking at potentially buying stocks is not least how much debt the company has, because and this is particularly relevant if we do appear to be entering some kind of cyclical or dare one say it, secular slowdown, that it's debt that kills companies. In other words, if you've got too much debt, ultimately it's game over. Mm. Um, so, because if, if, you know, the debt has to be repaid, and if, it, if you can't repay it, you lose control of the company. Yes. You know, if, you're, if you're on the board or a CEO or a major shareholder, major equity investor. So the debt thing, you know, I, I couldn't overemphasize. And this is the reason why, I mean, this is the... the the argument on which absolutely everything now really hinges in global markets. Governments are terrified and central banks are terrified that we enter a debt deflation because that's exactly what happened in the 1930s and it led to a decade-long depression. Yeah, And arguably, and even more soberingly, the only thing that... You know, the, the, this is the, the revisionist history that I, I find really intriguing when I was at school, because I didn't study economics at university, but when I was at school and we covered the 1930s from the vantage point of America, there was this sort of loose idea that this guy called Roosevelt got parachuted in and he instituted a big deal, a new deal, um, and there were all kinds of alphabet agencies set up and he pulled the US economy out of slump. Hmm. I think most people today would probably accept, it, regardless of sort of where you stand on the political spectrum, that the thing that really pulled the US and other countries out of recession in the 1930s was the Second World War. Mm. So that's a, not exactly a, the cheeriest of prospects for where we are now. In well, there terms was, of- yeah, there was also the suggestion that the Federal Reserve decided to keep interest rates high. And it reminded me a lot of the 2008 crisis when the oil price was heading up towards $127. 
and it was clear that there was a lot of pressure on the consumer and the Bank of England were insisting on keeping interest rates at what I think it was 5% and they saying that they weren't going to move it. So you had this kind of like intention to keep inflation under control because you but you had inflation being caused by rising oil prices. But no recognition that the economic game has changed in the meantime. Ex- exactly. Regular listeners will will know that one of my favourite reads in, in economic history terms is a book called 40 Centuries of Wage and Price Controls. And the clue is there in the title that governments and politicians have, feel a kind of God-given right to tinker around with things and try and, you know, move the dial, flip the switch you know, control prices and rents and wages and here, there and everywhere. And it never works. Or rather, if it does ever have any short-term effect, it's more than cancelled out by the long-term unintended consequences of, of, of said effect. Yeah. So this is really the problem. The idea, I mean, I take a very sort of Austrian school, classical economics, hardline purist perspective on this, which is government is never the answer. Government is always the problem. So expecting government or an arm of government to fix things is, is ludicrous. They had a, I think the bullion report in the UK goes back, I think, to it's it's sometime in the 19th century. But they, it was presumably a Bank of England uh, report. But it basically said, you know, it doesn't matter how, how many people or how bright they are, no body of men can possibly work out what the appropriate amount of, I think they called it circulating medium at the time, basically how much money there should be in the system. Mm-hmm. It's beyond, it, you know, it's beyond any, any committee of the, the, the brightest and best. So the idea that you know the Monetary Policy Committee or the Federal Reserve, FOMC, or any other body can, can mysteriously, magically work out a how much money there should be in the system and b where to set interest rates is you know is is a joke. And yet, the, I mean, I, so I feel very strongly about this, and it's the biggest frustration to me that this this conversation, this debate about can't we just let the market sort this stuff out, it's just not being had. It's not being had in the mainstream media anyway. Yes. So I think going back to Shane's question, it's kind of another way of phrasing it from what I can see is what is the best way of protecting against inflation and is gold it? Because So I think I think I think gold is clearly an answer. It's maybe not the answer, but gold yeah. is an answer. But it kind of depends on exactly what this morphs into. The reason that we're backing gold in a big way, both at a sort of corporate level and personally, and obviously in terms of our clients, is you know, uh, and I, I was, I, had, I got a tweet from a, a fellow investor uh, yesterday saying he'd, he'd read some technical analysis or some technical guru and said that gold was about to peak. The gold price was about to peak in US dollar terms. Well, that may or may not be true, but what my response was the reason we own gold, and not exclusively, because we obviously we own, we own value equities and we own trend followers and all kinds of other things, but the reason we own gold and gold miners is because of the, primarily because of this big, macro picture debt predicament. You know, this is too much debt. It's never going to get paid back globally. So if you accept that the most plausible authority response to that debt mountain is going to be inflate, 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 then ultimately inflation is most definitely the thing to worry about. And in the meantime, gold will could, could plausibly do tolerably well even in a deflation. But th- th- since I don't think the governments will ever allow that to happen, it's kind of a moot point. So to answer the question when to sell gold, because we're talking about buying it, but if the question were when to sell it, my response would be it's not a price-driven phenomenon. It is driven – if you're owning gold as portfolio insurance against either financial systemic crisis or simply currency devaluation, which has been ongoing for forever anyway, then 
you only look to sell your gold once the reason for buying it in the first place has been resolved, i.e. they've sorted out their debt situation. Mm -hmm. Since I see no likelihood of that happening anytime soon, not for years, um, or the introduction of a new monetary system, then we'll be holding on to ours for the foreseeable future. Talking of which, we had a question from Sanjay saying, hedge fund manager Kyle Bass predicts HSBC will collapse. And there's some videos on it by George Gammon on YouTube, which actually I've watched and are very interesting. Um, he explains the issue of the property prices in Hong Kong, um, which predict will he predicts will crash in 2020 due to the bubble in prices. His question is, how would this be possible as a system cannot afford HSBC to fail? The impact would be too great. And so what would be done to prevent this if this does or could happen? So if the question is, is HSBC at risk of failure, then I suppose my response would be, well, theoretically, any any bank is. But HSB, I, mean, I don't know the ins and outs in HSBC. And it, the chances are that I'm never likely to, to ever buy bank stocks for the rest of my life. Because they're just too, they're just too opaque. The balance sheets are full of all kinds of dreck, and and I suspect the CEOs of these businesses don't know what they own, let alone the you know the, the rank and file investor or shareholder. So, yeah. but but having said that, HSBC does have a reputation for being a let's say a steadier ship than many. So yes. I'd I'd back HSBC over Deutsche Bank, for example. Yes, but, but not yeah. with, notwithstanding that, I mean clearly there is a let's say a, a peculiarly Asian or particularly Asian risk. To, to HSBC in the way there isn't for other for other more more sort of developed market or, or Western focused banks. Um, I think the play we've seen the playbook already. We've had ten years plus the playbook, and the playbook is if any globally, if any high street banking entity gets into trouble, they'll just print money now. They've they've already tipped their hands. So although that's not what the the I mean, this, this is so this gets to the heart of the problem really in investing today, at least for me, which is. There's the world as it ought to be, morally, and then there's the world as it is. And though I'd love the world to be as it should be, the reality is we have to play the hand we're dealt. That's not mixing too many metaphors. So the reality is, although I'd like to see basically bad businesses be put to the sword, the reality is that when they're globally important, systemically important banks, they need to be bailed out. End of story. So the idea that any large bank a la HSBC could be allowed to fail, I think, is is uh, is not really plausible. You don't think it would be allowed to fail, so it would be bailed out. Well, I don't I mean, see how it possibly that's, can. I yeah, mean, yeah. Bearing in mind when I, I mean when I I underestimated the impact of Lehman at the time because the Lehman Brothers that I knew back in two thousand and eight was a second tier investment bank. It wasn't even a commercial bank, and yet you know we've seen we now know what the aftermath was. So if they if the U.S. authorities were willing to do know all of the post Lehman stuff I mean admittedly they they let Lehman fail or or Lehman just spiraled out of control and nobody had the resources to to step in but either way if they were then willing to basically send out every single fire tender in the world or in the US to help put out that conflagration I think we can assume they're going to bail out HSBC but that that even presupposes it needs to be bailed out so I don't know the Hong Kong property market another question we've had on this topic relates to uh, Australian property prices. And we had Chris McIntosh on, and I don't think we've put it up yet, but we've got had a great talk with Chris McIntosh a week or two ago. Um, he's based, I think, in New Zealand, but he makes the point that, you know, Australian property is not exactly looking hunky-dory. So there are like these little sort of property bubbles bursting or potentially bursting just about everywhere right now. The problem with the, the Hong Kong property market is the... During the Asian financial crisis of the late 90s, when we saw a lot of currency pegs break, one of 
one that didn't break was the the Hong Kong dollar against the US dollar. Yeah, the Hong and, Kong the Hong Kong dollar has had a reputation of being almost bulletproof. Yes, exactly, and it it didn't go then. So what's the chances of it going now? Who mm. knows? That's that's kind of a roll of the dice situation, but. The problem that caused the Asian financial crisis in the first place in the late 90s was pegging your economy to the US dollar mm. um, and adopting the monetary policy of the US. Now, if we look and at... That's, and it, that's really, just for the, to labour the point, that's really bad news if your liabilities, i.e. debts, are in US dollars, but your natural income is in your local currency. Because yes. if your local currency depreciates, it's game over. Yes. Because you've still got to keep... That's like a debt deflation problem all over again, because you've got... You've got hard liabilities and you can't afford to pay them anymore. So you end up with a situation that the the Hong Kong sort of system has been gamed in the same way that the Irish property market was was effectively gamed by, you know, we, we had comparable interest rates with with Ireland, around 7 or 8%, I think it was. Before well, hang on, let me we can go back to 1992. So we had, we had interest rates that were inappropriate for our economy, which was yeah. in recession. Yes. Well, the US, uh, sorry, while well, Germany was, was reunifying. Ex- exactly, exactly yeah. Exactly the same problem. Exactly the same problem. And, 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 and that is, and that is the, the overarching problem for the whole Eurozone now, which is, you know, you've got lots and lots of different countries in completely different stages of the cycle, but they've got a one-size-fits-all uh, interest rate, monetary policy, and no facility for the local central banks to um, to step in. Exactly, it's a, it's, a, it's a doomsday device. Exactly, but the, the question in Hong Kong and th- that that situation, it's caused a massive boom in property because interest rates are artificially low, mm. and I think given that they're they're given that they're linked to China, I think there will be plenty of support for the peg, and there'll be plenty of support for the economy from them, but. Who knows? They, 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 you know, there, there is a transition going on there, and it could be used as a weapon. Who knows? It's, it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult one to predict. But one thing's for certain: if the peg were to go, it would be. It would be. It would be the the bang that's heard around the world. Yes, I think it would be. It would be the what. It, it, interestingly, we're all looking at Europe, and we're we're also looking at America, but. You know, we we have looked. You, you, at know, you never see, you never see the bullet that kills you. Yeah, so it's so it's a very it's a very very good call by Sanjay to actually raise it, and I think you've got to we've got to keep a, a very close eye on the situation. I mean, the the most kind of sensitive way to 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 look at it would be to check currency prices and also to check the share prices of respective banks, Standard Chartered mm. and HSBC, to see what direction they're moving in. But, um, you know, I think that China would be, I don't know what you think about this, but I think they're in a better position to, to be bailing out than, than we are. Well, they're, they're a command economy, so we're not quite comparing apples with apples because they can do pretty much whatever it takes. Yes, exactly. So, um, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to be without consequence. But I, I think sure. keeping an eye on, on Hong Kong property prices, from what I understand, are holding up. So despite all the negatives, they have mm. been holding up. But how long that will continue for, or you know, if if there is just a natural correction and people start to panic a little bit, you just don't know what that could turn into. But it's. I mean, we, we were talking sort of extrapolating out various things from coronavirus. If if this does turn out to be, and I think it's far too early to say that it will, but if this does turn out to be a sort of fully fledged market route in things like equity markets. It may be that coronavirus gets the blame, but it won't be coronavirus's fault. It'll simply be that the coronavirus outbreak happens to, happens to be the pin that pricked a bubble that's been inflating for ten years. Yes, I think that's absolutely spot on, and and it comes down to 
what is the fragility of the system when you get one of these shocks. And if the system is is well managed and, and in a good place, then it's perfectly okay to deal with one of these problems. But and I, I would say, sorry to interrupt, I would say that the problem is that the central banks have already largely spent all their ammunition, certainly spent all their ammunition in conventional terms. So the, the sort of the trillion dollar question for me is, suppose the Fed tried to sort of launch a, a, a bull market party and nobody turned up. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, very interesting times at the moment, that's for sure. Second cheesy quote alert. So there's a warning, <laughs> warning. We might, have a, we might have a limit on these. <laughs> yeah, I know, we might have to have a limit, but, uh, you know, enjoy the party, but dancing at the door. Yes, yes. that's. I love that one. That's a great one. Fantastic. Well, brilliant. Great to hear from you, Tim. Thank you Likewise, for your thoughts. Good, and to, good to speak, Paul. Thanks for the questions, and we will catch you next time. Indeed. All the best. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.